The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your guest host today, Brent J. Cohen, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about an important piece of legislation that's currently making its way through the House, uh, which is the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act of 2019. That's a fairly long name, so we're just going to go ahead and call it the MORE Act. <laughs> at, a, uh, at a high level, this piece of legislation would officially remove marijuana from the list of federally controlled substances, uh, expunge federal marijuana convictions and arrests, which means folks who have been arrested for this in the past would have their record largely cleared, and... Um, it would specifically direct resources to communities that have been most affected by the disastrous war on drugs. Uh, we know it's disastrous, uh, started by Richard Nixon back in 1971. His folks have been pretty clear as aides since then that it was started uh, at least in part for racist reasons and has had a, a tremendously harmful impact uh, on, our, on our country and particularly on communities of color. So to talk with us more about the to talk with us more about the Moore Act and the people and communities who would be uh, helped by its passage uh, and why this bill is so important, I'm joined today by Marisa Perez, the director of the Office of National Affairs at the Drug Policy Alliance. Thanks for joining the show, Marisa. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm I'm excited to talk about the Moore Act. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk about it too. This is a, you know, I, I think. A, an area where you've got some some deep expertise, um, and this is, you know, one of those pieces of legislation where if, if we can actually get it across the finish line, really has, you know, hugely powerful implications uh, and and sort of ground setting implications for uh, what marijuana prosecution looks like today and into the future, and and how expungements can can um, really become, I think, a a part of the criminal justice landscape in a, in a very robust way. So before we jump into the conversation more, can you just uh, provide our listeners with a quick overview of, um, of the Drug Policy Alliance and, and specifically your role over there as the director of the Office of National Affairs? Yeah, sure. So the Drug Policy Alliance is an organization that seeks to end the war on drugs and also the harms of drug prohibition. So I like to think of our organization as both a criminal justice reform and public health organization. So we work on uh, you know, discrete criminal justice reform legislation and policy, but we also really emphasize uh, making sure that folks have access to substance use disorder and other harm reduction services. Got it, got it. So your, your public health and criminal justice reform organization all wrapped up in one, which, which makes sense because these, um, 
you know, issues in people's lives aren't confined to a, to a single agency or a single issue area. Yep, that's exactly right. And our work at, here in D.C., our D.C. National Affairs Office, um, is really centered on what's happening at the federal level. So our work entails uh, really engaging with Congress on these important issues. And as you said, really just trying to get them to see that a lot of these issues, especially around drug policy, should be treated outside of the criminal justice system. Yeah, I, I mean, I first got to know the work of DPA when I was when I was working in New York City government and would travel to Albany often, uh, the state capital, to to work on various pieces of criminal justice reform legislation. And I, you know, I'd constantly run into D, D, uh, DPA staffers up there working to roll back the Rockefeller drug laws, which, uh, you know, in New York provided for huge disparities between crack and cocaine sentencing, and not only failed to respond from a public health perspective to drug um, drug use, but also uh, disproportionately incarcerated um, Black New Yorkers uh, and for far longer times. So really appreciate the work you all do and, and have been doing for a long time. Um, so sort of switching switching here to the MORE Act, uh, Maritza, I, I gave a, a very brief high-level sort of overview of, of what the MORE Act is and what it would do, but can you provide some additional uh, historical context on why this legislation is necessary and um, and what the criminalization of marijuana at the federal level has meant for for communities and, and cities across the country? Yeah, sure. I think it would be helpful to just talk a little bit about the origins of the MORE Act. Um, so the MORE Act has really been led by a coalition called the Marijuana Justice Coalition. Uh, this is a broad coalition that uh, the Drug Policy Alliance brought together, but is also inclusive of traditional criminal justice reform groups, uh, folks who are directly impacted by the criminal legal system, civil rights groups, immigrant rights groups, veterans groups, and work uh, groups that you wouldn't traditionally think about in the marijuana space. For example, we have a labor group and a social worker group who are part of this coalition. But the reason that we all came together was that, you know, we saw what was happening around the country. We saw that marijuana was increasingly becoming legalized um, state by state. But what we also saw was that our communities, directly impacted communities, were often left out of any policy relief when marijuana legalization occurred. Um, so, for example, many states still prohibit people with uh, convictions, including cannabis convictions, from engaging in the legal industry. Um, we also saw that revenue was not going back into communities that were most most harmed by drug prohibition. So we kind of read the writing on the wall and we wanted to make sure that we were able to craft a bill that could be a model bill for states and localities as more decided to legalize uh, marijuana. But we also wanted to like set a just a, a good policy at the federal level because we saw this eventually happening. I think anybody who's been following what's been happening with marijuana uh, could see that federal legalization, like that we're on the cusp of that. So we wanted to really get ahead of that and like build a bill that we thought would be inclusive of communities most harmed by the war on marijuana and the war on drugs. Um, and that, that effort resulted in the MORE Act. And we've been working closely with Chairman Nadler of the House Judiciary Committee in moving this bill forward um, since uh, probably 2018, so for the last couple of years. Um, so obviously, we're really excited that the House right now is in a position to vote on the bill uh, later this month. Um, we thought that the bill, in addition to descheduling marijuana, definitely needed to center communities most harmed by the war on drugs. And I'm happy to say that this bill does that. 
Thank you. This, this, uh, I want to dive into a, a little bit more of the detail on some of what you just um, talked a bit about here. So, for example, marijuana is a booming business in a, a number of states right now, right? Folks are legally uh, growing, harvesting, selling marijuana. There are dispensaries. I, I know going all the way back to um, probably like a decade ago, I don't know when the first state passed it, but whether it was medical marijuana or now recreational marijuana, um, this is a legal enterprise in a number of states. And what you're saying is people with marijuana convictions for possession or sale of marijuana from when it was illegal in those same very states are prevented from being engaged in or making any money in this now legal booming business for doing the exact same thing. That's exactly right. Oftentimes, a conviction is a disqualifying factor. So if you're applying for a license, for example, to uh, engage in the legal market, that will be an automatic disqualifier. The MORE Act does away with that. So we actually create, uh, well, it does away with that in, in a couple of ways. One, the MORE Act provides for an expungement and resentencing process for anybody who's had a, a federal marijuana conviction, but we also direct money to state and localities to implement expungement and resentencing process um, at a more local level. In addition to that, we have a funding stream in the MORE Act that's specifically dedicated to building up equitable uh, licensing schemes so that people who have been directly impacted um, actually get the licenses and can profit in the regulated market. That's great. And so that 19-year-old who uh, had a dime bag in his pocket and um, would otherwise be completely prevented from engaging in this now legal booming business would have an opportunity um, because of the MORE Act, states and cities can take advantage of opportunities to, to incentive. Well, actually, let me ask that. Let me, instead of stating it, let me ask you. So that 19-year-old with a dime bag who got caught you know, 20 years ago and is currently prevented from engaging, how would the MORE Act help them become eligible to, uh, to, to get into the legal marijuana business now? Um, so one, that person would be eligible for expungement and resentencing. Two, uh, we would provide federal funding uh, to incentivize that person's state or local government to um, open up licensing to people with convictions, to people who were directly impacted. Got it. And and we know that this is a fairness issue. We know this is an equity issue. We know that policing of marijuana and drugs and communities in general disproportionately falls on communities of color. So for the very same behavior, two kids who grew up in different zip codes, who look differently, have different interactions with police and therefore different criminal records. So I'm going to want to dig into that, those equity issues and more when we come back right after this break here on the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host, Brent J. Cohen. And we're talking today with Marisa Perez, the Director of the Office of National Affairs at the Drug Policy Alliance. Thanks for coming back with us, Marisa. Happy to be here. So we're, we're talking today about uh, the MORE Act, an exciting piece of legislation that's making its way uh, through the House right now. Uh, and can you share with us just where, where is the House, excuse me, where is the MORE Act specifically in terms of the legislative process? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So last year, uh, we made history with this bill when the bill became the first marijuana descheduling bill to be voted out of a congressional body. Um, so last year, the main uh, committee that has jurisdiction over the bill, the House Judiciary Committee, marked up and voted in favor of the bill. Since then, we've been working with other committees of jurisdiction and also working with uh the House Chamber to build more co-sponsors and support for the bill. And I'm really happy to report that just this week we learned that Leader Hoyer is in, in, intends on bringing this bill to a full House vote on the week of September 21st. So that's really exciting for us. That is really exciting. Congratulations and congrats to uh, to all the organizers and campaign partners who have been working on this. So the, so the bill is going to come to a, a floor vote in the House later this month. That's right. And if this were to pass through the House, what does that mean? What's next? So if it were to pass through the House, it would, again, be a game changer. Um, and it would that, that, that vote would make history. It would be the first time that a congressional chamber votes favorably for a bill that would deschedule marijuana. Um, so that within itself is very significant, exciting progress. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, we don't have the support we need this year in the Senate. So after this House marker, we will revisit, you know, the conversation next year um, when a new Congress is in session. But this is still really significant and helps us build a path toward victory in the future. It's it's vital that we still have members showing their support for this because when this bill comes up in Congress again, next congressional session, we want to show, we, we want to show that we had all of the support. We want to point to this house victory. You know, once you go forward, it's hard to go back. So this is definitely um, a huge marker for us in, in terms of progress and our future work on the MORE Act. Yeah. I mean, it, it completely changes the starting line, right? The, the negotiation started at a different point. The floor is raised um, once this gets through the house and says, uh, you know, and it's, it builds on the victory that you had last year uh, where a bill got through the judiciary committee and says, this is where we're starting from now, um, as opposed to uh, where we've been in the past with a bill not having even gotten through either chamber of Congress, or I, I think, as you said earlier, let alone a committee. Right. Um, so congratulations, that's huge. And, and as you said, a game changer. Um, one, of the, one of the questions that some of our listeners might be having right now is, you know, we're talking about um, descheduling marijuana at the, at the federal level. And yet earlier, we were talking about the fact that in you know, 10 or 11 states already, uh, 11 states plus the District of Columbia have already legalized uh, marijuana or cannabis for adult recreational use. And there's another 33 states plus D.C. that have legalized it for medical use. Why does it matter that that uh, or what does it mean that states have legalized it while it's still criminalized at the federal level? Like what what's happening here? Yeah, that's a really great question. So if the more well when the MORE Act receives a vote in the House, it would remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act, but it wouldn't change anything at the state level. So states who have already endorsed marijuana legalization, you know, those programs will remain in place. This is not going to affect state legal programs. What will happen, though, is that people who are often criminalized for drug use, um, we're talking, you know, black and brown individuals, low-income low people, communities that encounter policing more often, will, will no longer be criminalized for using, uh, for marijuana use or activity. And this is significant just when you think of, 
the conversations that are happening around the country around policing, it would just be another, uh, it would take away a mechanism that police have to entrap people in the criminal legal system. Um, and there's also just big repercussions too uh, for non-citizens. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we included an immigrant rights group um, in this coalition because, uh, you know, there are different consequences for non-citizens who are involved in the criminal legal system, including the threat of deportation. So actually removing cannabis, removing marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act is a huge, uh, like very huge and significant for non-citizens because it also removes it as a federal crime. And that's that's really what signals um, what, what, what would signal a case for immigration authorities. So it would definitely like just have a big impact on people who experience more policing, whether in the criminal legal system or in the immigration system. Yeah. And, and some of this would be retroactive, right? So, so folks who, um, may be undocumented or may have legal status, but have a marijuana conviction on their record could potentially have that expunged. And so even if they've never been in trouble again, they're sort of still in a precarious position right now. And the more act would allow, um, or even incentivize states to retroactively fix that, um, helping yeah. to take folks out of that situation. Yeah. So the bill would again provide funding for um, resentencing and expungement of past convictions, which is something that's uh, really exciting about this bill. But in addition to that, it would actually just go in and change immigration code so that non-citizens uh, would no longer be. Uh, that their status would no longer be threatened by any marijuana activity. Um, so for example, something that we saw really recently was that non-citizens working in even state legal programs uh, had their citizenship and immigration status really put in jeopardy because marijuana remains on the CSA. So the MORE Act would de-schedule de marijuana, which would help with that. But in addition to that, the bill actually goes in and adjusts the INA so that marijuana activity is no longer an immigration consequence. Got it. Thanks for thanks for clarifying that. Um, and so as we, you know, sort of think about um, one of the other aspects that I've heard a bit about, I'm not an expert in, is that the, the fact that federal still has it as a, a controlled substance the federal government, excuse me, has it as, as a controlled substance, has implications for banking for some of the states that have legalized marijuana and now have, um, you know, marijuana businesses up and running or cannabis businesses up and running. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So that's another huge benefit of taking marijuana off the Controlled Substances Act. It would actually um, open up financial services to marijuana businesses. So right now, uh, banks and financial services uh, often choose not to do business with marijuana with the marijuana industry because you know they're the main commodity is uh, something that's classified at the federal level um, as as a as a federal drug offense so removing removing marijuana from the CSA would help and uh, facilitate that this is why uh, the coalition has thrown its weight behind a comprehensive bill like the more act although the banking bill would open up financial services to the marijuana industry the banking bill does not change marijuana's uh, illegal uh, repercussions at the federal level. And I think that's just really important to really help the communities that we've been discussing today.
Got it. So there's another bill out there, the banking bill, that would do some of this, but certainly not all of it. And the MORE Act takes a much more comprehensive approach, uh, which is why it's such an important piece of legislation here. So I want to talk more uh, when we come back from this break about where the MORE Act is and, and where it might be going soon. Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host, Brent J. Cohen, and we are talking today about the MORE Act. Uh, we're talking about descheduling marijuana as a um, federal controlled substance, the importance of expunging records and, and repairing some of the harm done to communities. And joining us here to talk about the MORE Act is Marisa Perez, the director of the Office of National Affairs at the Drug Policy Alliance. So uh, Marisa, just to jump right back into it here, um, the country right now, I think, is, is, is at a bit of an inflection point um, when it comes to racial justice, when it comes to um, how expansive policing and the criminal legal system has become. Uh, young people are leading this movement across the country from big cities to small towns. Um, and it's it and, and and so as we talk about the or how does this conversation about the Moore Act and marijuana decriminalization, um, and not just decriminalization, but specifically the Moore Act and, and and the other aspects of this bill, how does that fit into the conversation around racial justice and the criminal legal system that's happening around the country right now? Yeah, that's a really good question and something that we've given a lot of thought to. So as I said at the beginning of the show, this bill is really created thinking about uh, directly impacted people and centering people who have been most impacted by the war on drugs. We know that in this country, that means black and brown individuals and communities and low income communities. And this bill does, does really speak to a lot of the harms that prohibition has caused among these people. So one, we wanted to make sure that we reinvested marijuana tax revenue back into these communities to build up infrastructure, to have money uh, for folks to provide legal services, things like expungement, things like job training, substance use disorder, whatever the community may need, which I think actually mirrors a lot of the conversations we're hearing around uh, defunding the police and reinvesting back into communities who are over-policed and the most police. So that aligns. But part of that conversation is also around uh, a broader conversation, I think, around economic justice, which is something that this bill also encompasses. So this bill um, would actually, again, use marijuana tax revenue to create two different funding streams, um, both programs that would be run by the Small Business Administration. One program would support underrepresented people to get their footing in the legal marijuana industry. And the other funding stream, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but that would support lo local jurisdictions and states in building up equitable equitable licensing programs so that um, communities of color and underrepresented people, people with convictions, um, can start to participate in the regulated marketplace. Um, something else that I think is just really interesting about the conversations that have been happening is that our bill will actually um, 
help with a lot of the things that people have been calling for. We see that people have been calling for less police interaction. And by removing marijuana as something that is criminalized, uh, we think that that supports uh, less police community interaction and actually allows law enforcement to focus on more violent crimes. We actually had law enforcement leaders come out in support of the MORE Act um, a couple of weeks ago. They held a press conference and also sent a letter of support to House leadership. And their main argument for supporting the MORE Act was that it would allow them to focus on violent crimes that go unsolved, that uh, that have a high rate of being unsolved and um, don't really have the resources that we, we probably should dedicate when we think about things that can actually improve public safety. Another thing that they argued was that um, delisting, delisting marijuana as a federally controlled substance would also improve police community relations because it would give police one less thing to have to police um, people for. Uh, so, you know, I think the conversations that are happening around this country just really support uh, our reasoning for passing the MORE Act now, not to mention the fact that Congress has not delivered on police reform. Congress has not delivered on other criminal justice reform uh, provisions that we've asked for. One other thing I can point to is decarceration. Criminal justice reform advocates have been pushing for Congress to release people from jails and prisons in the midst of the pandemic. And that's something that they just haven't done. Passing the MORE Act would be beneficial for folks who have also been asking for criminal justice reform for relief. And it would make it so that less people are held in jails for things like marijuana use and possession, which is so critical right now in the midst of COVID. Yeah, uh, sadly, our, our leaders at the state and federal level have absolutely failed to act when it comes to protecting people who are currently incarcerated. And, and we did a show on that a, a, a while back uh, when we were in the beginning stages or what felt like the beginning stages of the pandemic back in maybe April or May. Um, and now here we are, you know, four or five months later, still seeing, um, uh, you know, a state and federal leaders fail to act, uh, fail to uh, have people going home um, when many of them shouldn't be inside to begin with. Um, and really almost being sitting ducks here for a uh, respiratory disease that is so easily spread. And so to your point, um, there's there's really an opportunity here, um, at least on the front end, to um, through decriminalization to 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 help lower the flow of people coming into facilities, especially for marijuana. Um, you know, I the point that you made earlier in the in the conversation just a second ago about um, economic opportunity is so incredibly important, and I think it's something that's really been a part of the racial justice conversation, um, certainly for decades, um, but especially recently, where the conversation is, yes, about how do we defund or reduce funding for police, but it's also about taking that money and investing that money into communities that have been hardest hit by over-policing and most harmed by economic exclusion. Uh, we know that Black communities in particular, but Black and Brown communities and Indigenous communities um, have often been excluded from things like the GI Bill or have been excluded or harmed from home ownership because of policies like redlining. Uh, obviously, home ownership being one of the ways that that people and families have been able to um, sort of ascend into the middle class or even beyond, um, especially using the GI Bill to do so. And so this this certainly wouldn't repair all of those harms, um, but it would be a start towards uh, uh, towards investing in communities that have been um, particularly and acutely impacted here by 
uh, prohibition or, or cannabis prosecution, both for possession and sale. Um, do you have any idea what's at like what scale or or what's like what that scope of work would look like? Like how would that how would that actually happen? Well, you know what you made me think of was that our bill actually also addresses collateral consequences of a drug conviction. Again, like we see racial justice and economic justice going hand in hand, and oftentimes a criminal record has just been another way to disenfranchise people from the voting process, from an ability to get a job or obtain federal clearance for a job or go to school, apply for student loan support or other support, and even a barrier to housing. So we actually go in and eliminate uh, collateral consequences of marijuana use by no longer, by at least at the federal level saying like, hey, you can't discriminate on people with records or who have had marijuana activity, and uh, you know, for the very reason that taking away those things is really destabilizing for people and uh, is definitely a barrier to building up intergenerational wealth, something that people of color in this country haven't had a fair shot at doing literally since this country was founded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and this bill, this bill is unique in that way, right? It's different from, from other proposals that have come forward in the past that may have been focused specifically on banking or specifically on deregulation. Um, this bill is sort of unique in how comprehensive the approach is. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely the most far reaching marijuana reform bill in Congress. And that's saying a lot considering that every, every, every year for like the last few years, at least um, Congress has introduced a record number of marijuana bills, but ours remains the only one that speaks to the barriers facing uh, low-income communities, communities of color, communities um, affected by marijuana prohibition. Got it. Got it. So so bill comes up for a vote in the House uh, September 21st. Um, even if the act passes through the House, the Senate uh, may and probably and likely will choose not to vote on the legislation. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell, GOP majority leader, has indicated that that the bill doesn't have legs in the Senate. So, if that's the case, what are the next steps here? Yeah, so that's a really good question. As I said earlier, we think it's still important to get a vote in the House because that still signals progress. You know, once you make progress like this, it's really hard to go back. We're, you know, under no impression that we'll get a Senate vote this year just because of Senate dynamics. But we think that this victory will still be important because it paves the path for future work around marijuana legalization. So I think this just sets us up to pass this bill and pass it into law soon after this congressional session, um, after we have a new Congress, maybe even a new administration. It just moves the needle forward. Um, in addition to that, just having the MORE Act out there, I think, is uh, is significant within itself. Um, and I say that because part of our thought in creating this bill was that it could be an example for other states and localities as they legalize marijuana, so, mm -hmm. um, you know, to help them keep directly impacted people at the center, at the front and center of any policy. Perfect. We'll be right back here on the Generation Progress Takeover.
Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host, Brent J. Cohen, and I'm joined today by Maritza Perez, the Director of the Office of National Affairs at the Drug Policy Alliance, and we are talking all things MORE Act. Um, and just so that folks remember, MORE Act, which is a much easier name to say uh, than, the, than the full name, is the uh, Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act. And those, the, the full name is so important because we're talking about opportunity, we're talking about reinvestment, we're talking about expungement. That's why this bill is the most comprehensive and far-reaching bill uh, that deals with uh, marijuana decriminalization um, and descheduling. So thanks for, thanks for joining us today, Marisa. Thanks for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us and, and coming back here for our, for our final segment. Of course, happy to be here. So, um, you know, I think at a at a sort of general uh, high level point, um, you mentioned before that um, that this bill would help to um, fit into the conversation around racial justice and specifically the policing and, and criminal legal system conversation we were having earlier that the nation is currently having. Can you just talk a, a bit more about how um, how this plays into it? Yeah, so, you know, marijuana, as I said earlier, is increasingly becoming legalized at the state level. So I think at this point, the majority of states have decriminalized or legalized marijuana to some extent, yet it continues to be a huge driver of uh, of criminal justice involvement. So we know that every year, more than half a million individuals are arrested for marijuana activities so that I'm talking about like marijuana use and possession, um, including just people who are using for like their own benefit and low level sellers. So it just continues to be a huge driver of the number of people that we, we see in contact with the criminal justice system. And, you know, as I explained earlier, that contact uh, does permanent damage oftentimes in the lives of people. It can affect somebody's ability to receive federal benefits, including SNAP and TANF. Um, which, you know, obviously impacts a person's ability to feed their family. It could also affect the person's ability to get a job, find safe and affordable housing, um, and a whole slew of other things that really impact people's lives and, you know, stick with them. Yeah, yeah. And for young people, uh, 18, 19, 20, 24-year-olds, we're talking about 80 to 90% of their professional lives left ahead of them and potentially with this burden on them of a collateral consequence of a conviction, including a, a conviction for something like marijuana that's now legal in a number of states. Um, so what should people do if they're listening right now, they're hearing this, they're moved to take action? Where can folks go? What should they do to get involved? That's a really great question. So I would direct people to the Drug Policy Alliance website at drugpolicy.org. And I would encourage people to sign up for our newsletters. Our newsletters keep people in the loop on the types of different things that we're working on. Um, you will also then be put on our action alert list. And we've been sending out <clears throat> action alerts related to, sorry about that noise. I mean, that's a that's an action alert right there. So things are happening in yeah, real yeah. time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if people sign up for our newsletter, they can also just uh, get our action alerts. And we've had several action alerts around the MORE Act and also other criminal justice reform issues. But those action alerts actually um, help people directly impact their members of Congress, asking them to take action. It would be incredibly helpful if people could 
sign up for our newsletter and to use our action alert to get in touch with their member of Congress, asking them to vote yes on the MORE Act when it comes to the floor. And Marisa, can you tell folks where they can where they can sign up for your for your newsletter? Where should they be going for that? Yeah, so people should be going to the Drug Policy Alliance website. Um, you can just Google the Drug Policy Alliance or go to drugpolicyalliance.org. There will be an option on our website to sign up for our newsletter, um, and people should definitely sign up and take advantage of all of the things that the that DPA offers its followers, including an opportunity to stop talk directly with your members of Congress about issues that you care about. Great, great. And just so that folks know, we're not the only ones talking about this right now. Um, if you're if you're on Twitter and you're following Barbara Lee, she's saying this legislation is critical for criminal justice reform. The MORE Act would erase criminal records for marijuana charges and bring justice to black and brown folks who are incarcerated unjustly. Uh, Senator Cory Booker saying it's not enough to end the federal prohibition on marijuana. We must expunge the records and repair the damage done to these communities, to those communities, excuse me, who are harmed by the failed war on drugs. Uh, this bill does that and more to achieve long overdue restorative justice. And that term restorative, we haven't talked much about, but you know, so much of the conversation today has been about how do we repair the harm to communities that has been caused um, through um, marijuana prohibition and specifically through the, the targeted, and we know it's targeted because folks have come out and said it's targeted, the targeted policing and prosecution for marijuana offenses. Yes, and the data tells us it's targeted too. Even if you look at places that have loosened their marijuana laws, people of color continue to bear the brunt of enforcement. Unfortunately, we, we see that pattern across the country. Yeah, and it, you know, it's something that you know I've long tried to explain to folks when you know I sometimes run into people who who. Um, still have the mentality of, well, if, if you don't want a collateral consequence, if you don't want trouble getting a job, then you shouldn't have done X, Y, or Z. And I think the reality is, um, a, you know, a 19-year-old or a 17-year-old white kid in many cities across this country uh, is walking around with marijuana in their pocket at the same rate as, uh, I, or is it even in a higher rate, perhaps, as a 17-year-old black or brown uh, child. But because policing is so different disproportionately, less likely to be policed in a white neighborhood, more likely to be policed in a predominantly black or brown neighborhood, the same exact action results in two very different outcomes, where the young, uh, the teenager of color is more likely to end up with a record for doing the exact same thing that a white teenager is doing, who doesn't actually come into contact with the police officer on their walk to a party or a friend's house or where, wherever it is that they're going. That's exactly right. The ACLU has been doing a great job of keeping stats on, on this and on exactly what you just talked about. And what we know from their research is that black and white individuals use marijuana at similar rates, yet black people are four times more likely to have criminal legal system contact because of said marijuana activity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having initial contact with police or the legal system over uh, marijuana possession may not land someone uh, behind bars for an extended period of time, although I would argue even one day is too long, uh, you know, contact with law enforcement that ends in a, a detainment or arrest with handcuffs is traumatic in and of itself. Um, but it also, um, for folks who are who may be less familiar with the criminal legal system, if there's a conviction for marijuana arrest, even if it doesn't result in jail time, it's the first mark on a record. So the second interaction, if there's a second interaction, now there's a so-called pattern. Right. And it can lead to more serious consequences in the future. 
Yes, that's absolutely right. Not to mention that we know that initial first contact with police can absolutely be lethal for people of color in this country. That's such an important point. First contact can absolutely be lethal for people of color in this country. So uh, Marita, we've talked a little bit about, about where folks can find more information about the Drug Policy Alliance and they can go to your website. Where can folks find more information about you and your work? Uh, do you have Twitter handles, uh, other social media handles, both for you and for DPA that folks should be following? Yeah, so the Drug Policy Alliance is on Twitter. Uh, people should be able to find them by just uh, putting their name in the search bar. I'm at Maritza C. Perez on Twitter. Um, and if people want to learn more about us and our work, again, I would just direct people back to our website and really encourage people to sign up for our newsletter. That's the best way to stay in, stay in on the loop on everything that we're working on. Are you all Are you all doing work in the States in addition to the work that you're leading here at the federal level? Yeah, so we've always been um, like a nationwide organization. My work at the National Affairs Office is definitely just federally con congressional focused, but we also have offices in California, in New Mexico, and in New York. And we definitely do work in those states, but we generally lend support wherever, it, wherever it's needed. So our work is definitely national. Awesome. Thanks, Marita. Thanks so much for the work that you're doing. Thanks for being with us here on the show. That's uh, that's all the time that we have for today. I want to thank our guest, Marita Perez, um, our producer, Mark Grimaldi, our senior press associate, Emily Leach, who makes sure that we are prepared and ready to go each and every week. Uh, so thank you, Mark and Emily. And to all of our listeners, um, please make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at genprogress. That, again, that's at Gen Progress on Twitter and Instagram. You can also check us out on our website, genprogress.org. Um, and we will, uh, and you can find me on Twitter if you're so inclined, at Brent J. Cohen. Again, that's at Brent J. Cohen on Twitter. We'll talk to you again on our next remote uh, Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day.